You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good evening. My name is Jim Turney. I am coming to you live from Altamont Springs, Florida. And uh, that's what you see behind me here. It's a beautiful city near Orlando, Florida. I am elected as a city commissioner here, and I'm very proud of my city. And I Hope when uh, the Libertarian Party has its in-person aspect of the National Convention in July, that since that's only a short drive from here on the other side of Orlando, that you'll stop into Altamont Springs. Uh, But everyone else there in this debate for the vice presidential nomination of the Libertarian Party, which we're going to hold this weekend in a live online uh, of convention, uh, everyone is uh, in their hometown. So I'm the only one that's in Orlando right now, and hopefully you'll all be in July because we're opening things back up around here over the next month. Uh, the Libertarian Party, like I said, is having this uh, uh, convention to select our presidential candidate and our vice presidential candidate online over the course of the next three days, Memorial Day. We were going to be in Austin, Texas doing this in person. We all know what happened with that plan uh, and all the other plans that people have made over the last few months have been uh, set aside in most cases. Uh, So we have um, a similar, If you, I hope you watched the presidential debate, which just ended 15 minutes ago with John Stossel moderating. And uh, we have uh, a similar kind of, uh, set up here with our vice presidential candidates, except that uh, I'm probably not as good as John is uh, at moderating. And uh, I also don't have a, a timer with me. So we're going to do our best to uh, keep everybody, keep it fair. And and uh, so I want to start by uh, mentioning the names of the three people who delegates to the Libertarian Party use tokens to select who can be in this uh, debate and the order in which they're going to appear to you to give their opening statements of two minutes each. That first one will be Larry Sharp, then Spike Cohen, and Ken Armstrong. So let's get started with you, Larry. You've got two minutes to start things off. Good evening. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad that you have taken some time this evening to hear us talk. I think it's great. You've probably heard me talk many times before. Why in the world would I jump into this race? It's a very important reason. For those of you who know me, you know I don't want to do this just to do this. I want to do this and sacrifice my time, sacrifice your time, bug you for money, sacrifice my money and everything because I want impact. Judge Jim Gray came to me with an actual plan to make impact. He came to me with a plan that might actually get us to win. And if we don't win, to at least ensure that we can help down ballot and help ballot access for this year and for four years to come. Am I prepared to sacrifice six months of my life for that? Yes, and I know you are too. And that's what I want us to achieve. We can do this here. We can actually make impact. Maybe when, I hope we can. Maybe the craziness of this COVID virus 
will allow people to do something that we never thought they would do. Maybe that lightning will strike and that'd be great. And if it does, then a judge becomes the president and he will help and assist all of us in the future for the next four years, winning at the local level, winning in our states, winning in our towns, because that is how this movement's really going to grow. It's going to grow from the ground up. It's going to grow from the local level. That's what I'm trying to achieve. I hope you all will join me. Thank you. Very much, uh, Larry Spike Cohen. You are up, sir. Hey, everybody. I'm Spike Cohen. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a business owner who started a web design company back in 1999. About three years ago, I sold that company so that I could focus my life on my real passion, which is spreading the message of freedom to a public that often has never heard of things like self-ownership, non-aggression, property rights, voluntary solutions, the libertarian message, using the leadership, marketing, and communication skills that I learned from starting, growing, and operating a successful business. I became the co-owner of Money Waters Media, the host of My Fellow Americans, and the co-host of the Money Waters of Freedom. We have a following in the tens of thousands and a reach in the millions on all social media and podcasting platforms. And we've achieved this by using entertainment to expose disillusion disenfranchised voters to libertarian beliefs, values, and solutions. Hosting and producing two live libertarian programs and interacting with countless people over these years, I've come to realize that in order for the Libertarian Party to beat the Republicrats and begin to make changes at the political level by winning statewide and federal elections, as well as many more local and regional down-ballot elections, we need to do, be able to move the needle in the direction of liberty at the cultural level. We can only make changes if we get elected we can only get elected if we get people to know who we are and what solutions we propose. And we can only get people to know us by engaging them where they are. I am running to defeat the Republicrats and their cronies using a dynamic, engaging, and empathetic style of messaging so that we can actually achieve freedom in our time. Thank you. Thank you, Spike. And now, Armstrong. Well. Well, hey there, I'm Ken Armstrong. I'm talking to you from a 100-year-old hunting cabin in the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. And uh, I've been on the road for nearly a year now. In fact, I actually kicked off my campaign a year and about three days ago in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, so I've had an opportunity over the last year traveling 51,000 miles by road, visiting 47 states with my wife and my friend Earl and Duke the Wonder Dog to visit with libertarians everywhere in the country and to visit with just ordinary people and talk to them about the principles of liberty and of the Libertarian Party. And I'll tell you, it, we have had an exciting year. I went from no name recognition in the party to just the other day, I picked up the, the endorsement of the Libertarian Pragmatist Caucus. And if, if you don't know, LPC has a track record of picking winners in this race. They endorsed Joe Jorgensen for president, and we just saw Joe in the presidential debate. debate. Uh, an absolutely fabulous performance, uh, really excited at the opportunity of seeing perhaps a, a woman on the, the debate stage this year next to the, the two old men that the other two parties are going to put forward. Or maybe it'll be Jim Gray and, and we'll, we'll see what, uh, what the judge brings with him. But I've got to tell you what I bring with me. I bring 40 years of experience in government and in leadership. I've had people on both sides of the aisle listen to my 
advice and my leadership. And I've spent 40 years in government and nonprofits. And I want to share that with you. And that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Well, outstanding timing. All of you came in a few seconds uh, before the bell went off. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, it's a good view. So uh, we are, so to speak, on TV in the modern context, uh, internet sort of television. And there are, especially by the time you count the recording that's being made of this, I suspect that there will be uh, thousands of people who watch this, either watching it now live or later. So it's real. And I want each of you to give me in one minute or less, what is, how do you make the case for the Libertarian Party? Like to get those voters out there that are, that are watching right now. Some of them are not members of the Libertarian Party. They're just checking us out. Spike, would you like to go first on this? You got 60 seconds to make the case for the Libertarian Party. Sure, absolutely. So I've learned from my years in uh, running my business and now my years in Muddy Waters Media, I've learned that the vast majority of people innately understand that something is wrong here. They see what's happening around us. They see the uh, pandemic that we're living under because government didn't let healthcare workers test and contain this virus when they could have. And now how the states are telling everyone that they can't go outside and they can't, you know, they, they can't do anything. And if they do, they have to wear a mask and that it's their fault if they get infected. People innately understand that something is wrong here with all of the signals that they get from government and corporate media where, where they're constantly told everything is fine. Just listen to us. Do what we say and nothing bad will happen to you. And of course, if you don't do what we say, terrible things will happen to you. They understand that there is something wrong here. They just need someone to present themselves in, a, in an empathetic and sympathetic way to demonstrate that we understand and are listening to them that we uh, hear what they're saying, that we understand their issues, and then propose the libertarian solutions and to give them the libertarian message. You own yourself, you own your life, you own your body, you own your labor, and you own your property, and we will stand so alongside you against anyone who would try to take it from you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Okay, thank you, Spike. Uh, Ken, over to you. You're talking to the people who are not already in the party. What's Give us 60 seconds to convince them. What would you say? Well, we, we absolutely don't need to do a lot of convincing today. Just yesterday, the second city in Alabama to declare bankruptcy announced that decision. Uh, th that's a direct result of state and federal management of this crisis situation. My background in crisis management tells me that the three things that they should be doing, communication, coordination, and logistics, have they've gotten consistently three Fs, the governments have, in, uh, in managing this crisis. And the tyrants at the state and federal level who've used executive authority to tell people what to do instead of giving them information and allowing them to make decisions for their lives. They, they've preached to the, to the choir in terms of what we need and the fact that we need libertarian principles running this country. Thank you. And uh, 
Very short, 60 seconds to sell the Libertarian Party to those people watching who are not already voting for us. Well, they're not watching us, but that's okay. You guys are. And what you need to remember is people who are afraid make bad decisions. That's how it works. When they're afraid, they don't go, let me look for Libertarian. No, they don't. They cry for a strong man or they cry for socialism. Both get us to dictatorship. And that's where we're going now. What we have to do is make them not afraid because right now they are. COVID and Trump and Biden and Russians. Instead, we have to be radical enough for them to say, hmm, but at the same time, familiar enough for them to go, oh, yeah, that's not so crazy. I could say yes. I had many failures in my New York, in my New York State gubernatorial run, but one of them that worked was the idea of regulating cannabis like onions. Regulate sound safe. Onions, not much regulation. So it's radical enough, but familiar enough. And that's still to this day, I get recognized and I get recognized. People yell, regulate like onions in the streets when I'm around. It works. Radical enough to be real and to make change, but familiar enough so that people hear it. All right. So I need to stop this thing. <laughs> From you went overtime for a few seconds. All right. So that's what the bell sounds like when you go overtime. Uh, so let's see. Uh, let's um, let's start with you, Larry. Uh, on this one. Tell us a little bit about how you became a libertarian, especially uh, any uh, personalities or any uh, book you read that uh, helped you make that conversion moment that you wanted to self-libertarian. The, the most important piece here is for many people, they came to libertarianism through politics. I didn't. I came through business. An author by the name of Robert Ringer. I was using uh, many of his books when I was training and teaching and consulting in business. And that kind of brought me into that world. But the number one thing that actually made me become a libertarian was, believe it or not, hearing Gary Johnson speak in 2012. I was basically finished with, uh, with politics in general. I didn't care anymore. But Gary Johnson spoke. Um, I was, I said, oh, this makes some sense. And then I actually, for the first time, joined a party, met people. Um, my first vote for libertarians was, of course, Gary Johnson and Judge Jim Gray, which is another reason why I trust him so much and why I want him to be our nominee. I trust him and I know him. And he was my first vote along with Gary Johnson. And that's what brought me into the party. Uh, four years or so, I was supporting the party either through money or through my works or driving our gubernatorial candidate in 2014 to do debate prep. And then 2016, I ran for VP, 2018 for governor, 2020, I'm back again. Oh, thank you. Uh, Spike, tell us how you got to uh, be calling yourself a libertarian. That's a good question. So uh, originally I was a neocon, believe it or not, a few years ago, probably about, well, I guess 15 years ago now. What first brought me even to listening to the ideas of libertarianism was actually seeing with my business, seeing firsthand how at every single step of the way, government puts regulatory burdens and other things in place, tax burdens and everything else to make it hard for entrepreneurs and small businesses and the people that are working for them to actually do what we need to do to actually get ahead in life and to try to you know grow something and, and provide for our families. And so so that kind of brought me into the libertarians who seem to be the ones who were, you know, overwhelmingly across the board saying all of these things are wrong. Republicans seem to be OK with some regulations and Democrats seem to be OK with some other types of regulations. But libertarians seem to be consistently against it. And so that got me into the, the party and the movement. Uh, but then it was reading things like uh, the law by Bastiat or um, the, um, No Treason by Spooner. These were things that really had me realize that the problem wasn't just the Republicans and the Democrats. The problem is the very nature 
of the big state, big government that we live under that that presumes to have total authority over us and can rule over us. So that, that's how I became a libertarian. All right. Thank you very much. Um, okay, Ken, it's your turn to tell us about your uh, your your first moments. Yeah, I, I have to thank the Democratic Party for making me a libertarian. Uh, thank you, Democratic Party. I really appreciate it. I was in party leadership in Hawaii, Democratic Party leadership in Hawaii. I was uh, elected to a local county office, and I was being groomed for state office and beyond and and uh, really thought I was on my way. And then I took a stand against the Democratic governor on a tax increase, and I got invited to resign my uh my committee chairmanship, and I uh, pretty much got excommunicated from the party at that point. And uh, that was when I met Tracy Ryan, the perennial chair of the Libertarian Party in Hawaii. We testified to the Senate about the proposed tax increase and marriage equality bills and, and other things. And, uh, and I grew into the Libertarian Party from that point. So again, thank you, Democrats, for making me a Libertarian. Oh, that's Perfect lead in to next and I had up here, uh, which is uh, that most uh, people in the party and outside the party uh, believe that we're going to pe elect people to local office like myself. I'm honored to serve here in Altamont Springs. So the question I have is, so since that's where we're going to be winning first, what made you decide that you wanted to run for a national office for vice president? Uh, rather than uh, a local office. Uh, go for on this one. Thank you. Well, actually, as most people know, I started off by running for president. I believe you go big or you don't go at all. And uh, I just saw that the problems in the country were so huge. It was not some burning bush that uh, told me I was going to be the president of the United States. It was just a conviction that I needed to do this thing, I needed to run. When I look at pictures of my grandchildren and I think about the world that they were growing up in, I couldn't imagine not trying to do something about it. And with my background, with my resume, honestly, the best fit was to, to try to return the federal government to the people. All right, thank you. Uh, Larry, tell me why you're not running for local office. I know you ran for governor, why, why now for vice president instead of for local office? Well, for the, for the same reason that I ran for VP in 2016, I believed that I could be the best support for Governor Johnson. That's what I thought, right? Uh, I'm for a living, I train, I teach, I coach. That's what I do for a living. I help people with emotional communication. That's what I do. And I thought I would really be able to help Governor Johnson to be a, a better presidential candidate. And I think I can make Judge Jim Gray be a better presidential candidate. My goal is always impact. I don't want to run just to run. That's a waste of time, energy, and money, donor burnout, uh, 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 activist burnout. If I'm going to ask you to, to jump through the hoops for me, I want to give you something. I ran for governor of New York because I knew I could get ballot access. Even though I lost the race, I gained ballot access. We got 100 new libertarians in the state the next year. And I built out a team across the entire country, and a bunch of them are running. So... I want impact. I thought I could do it in 2016. I did it in 2018. I think I can do it now. It's about making impact, not about winning. In reality, I'm not going to be the VP. But can I help us to grow? Yes. And why, why am I going to be the VP? Because even if we win this thing and the judge gets selected as the president, they don't pick me for the VP. They pick somebody else. That's how the Constitution works. I'm running for support staff. 
I want to support. I'm the Obi-Wan Kenobi, if I can be, and I help the rebels win, right. even though I get killed. Time's up. <laughs> okay, Spike, over to you. Tell us why uh, you prefer to run for vice president instead of for local office, please. Jim, we're never going, obviously we run to win, but we're never going to win until we change the conversation. In the Libertarian Party's 49 year history, we haven't won a single federal or statewide election. No president, no vice president, no governor, no Senate, no Congress, none of that. We will be able to do that. If we're ever going to do that in this election cycle or any other, we have to take control of the conversation. We have to take control of a of a conversation that right now is just two groups of people arguing how much bigger government should be, how much more control it should have, how much more expensive it should be, how much more it should spend and run up debt on our, in our behalf. If we are going to change that, we have to change the conversation. I believe that the role of a vice presidential candidate and of a vice president is to give his president uh, the uh, advice uh, on matters of, of policy and strategy, but also to provide a bully pulpit and to draw a line in the sand. I want to draw a line in the sand and put on one side of that line those of us who want to take the boots off the necks of the American people as they try to solve the problems that they face, which often are created or made worse by government. And on the other side, put the people who want to continue to allow that harm to happen just to preserve their power. All right. Great. Well, that actually more or less answered my uh, the next question up here, uh, which is about supporting the presidential candidate. Um, you did a pretty good job at that spike. So I kind of hate for it ask you to repeat that uh, since you went into that. So let me ask this. Since messaging is important, you kind of went into this too. Still, let me ask, messaging is very important in a political campaign and, and targeting is. Uh, what about, uh, what would you say as the vice presidential nominee, if you're our nominee, what is the message that you want to hammer home as the uh, as the vice presidential candidate. You're going first on this one. Spike. Okay. Yeah. The message is very clear, Jim. You own yourself. You own your body and your labor and your property and you own your life and they are taking from you and it doesn't work. This goes back to the basics of libertarian beliefs and, and, and libertarian ethos. We don't just believe that non-aggression, that aggression is bad because you shouldn't take from each other. Of course it is. We believe it's bad because it doesn't work. If I can take from you all day long and I don't have to actually be a good steward of the things that I earn, then I'm going to make bad decisions with what I take. And if you know that I can just take from you at any given time, then you're going to be not as good of a steward because you could lose that at any time. That is the, the wages of the bad central planning that we live under. And it is intuitively understandable. When I speak to college students on student on, on college campuses, when I speak to people in housing projects in my, in my door knocking tours, everywhere that I go, when I go to small businesses, everywhere that I go, I tell them the same thing. The reason this is failing is because it was designed to fail. Because the people who presume authority over you and believe that they are your betters, even though we almost universally recognize them as the biggest idiots and sociopaths and panderers among us, it is designed that way and we intend to dismantle it system. Thank you. Ken, uh, you about uh, how would you support the presidential nominee um, and uh, what's your message as a vice presidential candidate? Well, first of all, my message needs to be my number one job is not screw it up for the president so or the presidential candidate. So I, I really need to be synchronized with the presidential candidate. And there are a couple, I particularly Jim and Joe, that I would be very, very happy to synchronize with. 
Um, but my job is to expand on their message, expand on their reach, to touch the people who would would listen to somebody with my kind of background because I come from a, a different level of experience and a different kind of background than both of them do. So I would be able to reach people that they can't reach, and I would be able to express the libertarian principles to the 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 workers the minimum wage workers like i have been and the highest level of government like i've been and everything else in between great thank you and uh larry give you a chance for this too sure look the the biggest issue is i'm here to support the president to the best of my ability assist him or her with the idea of how come i how can i communicate best right when i deal with the judge what we try to do often is break the monopoly of government, right? That's what people actually will hear. There are a lot of people in my state, New York and California, who think government's a great idea. There's no other answer but government. But when I say to them, do you like monopoly? They go, no, monopoly's terrible. Awesome, isn't government monopoly? Yeah, it is. Shouldn't we have another way of making that work so you can actually get your communities to work again? And they say yes. And before you know it, it starts working. What I wanna do is be able to support our presidential candidate so they can communicate best to get the average person to hear us. There is a critical piece. They just have to hear us. It isn't my job to set the actual message. It's my job to make sure that I get our president to say the message the right way. They're not going to be voting for us. They're going to vote for a presidential candidate. I've got to make sure I can put my ego in my pocket when it's required and support the person ahead of me. All right. Thank you. Well, let me break with you you all on the next series of questions, which you sort of slid into there a little bit, I guess. Uh, you know, we have uh, pretty clearly now we're going to see Donald Trump running for re-election and we're going to see Joe Biden uh, as the Democratic Party nominee. And uh, both of them are even older than I am. And uh, they're also uh, quite like me. Uh, but you're different. You you're a, a look different. You're from the north and you're younger and uh, a little more diverse ethnically. What do you, how would you help uh, with uh, letting a non-libertarian understand that party demonstrating its uh, uh, commitment to equality, especially with regard to race and gender? Can you give us a, a minute about that, Larry? I'm actually not sure what you're asking me, um, but I'll say it anyway. Um, the, the reality of it is, uh, is uh, I always talk about the idea of how do I pull people from poverty? How do I pull people from a bad situation? How do I pull people out of a bad, a bad world, whatever that is, discrimination, whatever the case may be? How do I pull them out? By giving them the ability to step out, by helping them, putting a hand out, putting community back in charge. Government is not about helping. Government is about checking a box and servicing. And it does that well. It checks the box and services. It doesn't help anybody though. So community helps. We draw that piece in. The reality of it is Judge Jim Gray is very similar to other people running. That's true. The advantage is they have to listen to his ideas. They have to listen to him being different because he looks similar. There's an advantage. I know I just spun that, didn't I? Because I'm good at this. That's why I should be your VP. All right. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's a question basically for us if you can or move to Kansas, uh, for the let me rephrase it in case that wasn't clear. I wanted to know how 
the LP, and I, I think Larry got it, uh, but he's different already. But, uh, you know, you're a lot like the the people that we're used to seeing in office, like me. And uh, so how would you help uh, non-libertarians realize that equality and um, in especially with respect to race and gender, the equality issues and, and those kind of things. What would you have to say about that? Well, I think the first thing I have to do is I have to realize that I've never walked in their shoes. I mean, I'm a 63-year-old white guy who's held a lot of, of uh, very fortunate positions in my life. But I have to say, I grew up in a, in a very mixed racial neighborhood. I've lived overseas in places where I was in the minority. I have, uh, I, I have been in close relationships with people who are not old white men like myself. Um, and the one thing that I've learned is I need to learn to listen to them. I need to hear them because I never will be able to walk a mile in their shoes. All right. Thank you. And uh, same same uh, theme for you, Spike. What do you have about these issues of gender equality and differentiation of our candidates, people like you and I from, from other Americans? Right. So, Jim, one of the things I've learned in going through all these different neighborhoods that I've, I've gone through uh, and college campuses, which are incredibly, uh, incredibly racially and ethnically diverse, going into different neighborhoods of different ethnic makeups and different income levels, including marginalized communities. The one thing I've seen over and over again is that of those who are, you know, racial minorities, ethnic minorities, gender and sexual minorities, religious minorities, the poor immigrants, they aren't being engaged by Democrats and Republicans. At the most, they might be pandered to by Democrats, but they recognize that they're not actually being engaged and they're certainly not being served. The things that they're being promised are broken every single time. The Libertarian Party platform from its beginning is the one that is all for uh, uh, equality on racial lines, equality on ethnic lines, equality on income lines, equality on gender and sexual lines. We were calling for uh, you know, allowing gay people to uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, decades ago before anyone else was. But here's the thing. We go back to the message, the libertarian message. When you centralize power, the people who are in power will oppress the people who are not in power. And that includes those who are, you know, ethnic and religious and gender and sexual and racial minorities. And so the libertarian message is ex explicitly designed to allow equality by decentralizing that power. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Uh, let's see. I guess, uh, I haven't lost track. Let's uh, start with Ken on this one. Uh, you had a lot of international experience, and it's sort of a similar theme to the last question. What are the borders, especially open Mexico and Canada, and uh, the generally the immigration uh, questions um, and open borders? What do you have to say about that? Uh, Ken, let's start with you. <clears throat> I think our, our goal has to be the free movement of people. Everything that we do has to move toward the free movement of people, the removement of any impediment on the borders and elsewhere for people to move freely. I think that we have to do that in steps that we can present to the American people. And I have a proposal for an international free trade zone that would go on the border between the United States and Mexico to really radically expand the ability to move freely between the countries and putting a, a, a consulate in the middle of the international free trade zones, 
which would be paid for, by the way, entirely by entrepreneurial funds, not by tax money in any way. And uh, would each country would still retain their authority over their side of the border. So we don't have to tell Mexico what they're going to do. But we can begin to allow people to move freely uh, by doing business inside the free trade zones and by expanding that so that we can show the American people that free movement of people really does work. Wow, perfect timing. That's exactly 60 seconds. Uh, uh, Larry, give us uh, one minute about open borders uh, or borders and immigration. Yeah, the, the judge has been clear on this. Uh, he wants to basically copy the idea of a private Ellis Islands on the border, privately owned uh, businesses, making sure that, that different businesses own each one of them so they can compete allowing these Ellis Islands to be be funded based in the same way that a recruiting company is, is funded today, allowing people to come and work as they want, cross the border and get documented, but not just crossing the border. People in our country now who are undocumented can go to any of these Ellis Islands and get documented. And so we can actually ensure that everyone can work the same as anyone else, live the same as anyone else. They want to cross their borders. Go ahead. All countries can be happy. All right. Thanks. And uh, Spike, what do you have to say about borders and immigration? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, the the thing with immigration is that not only does having open borders and allowing people to come in and, and leave, which, by the way, is what the, the U.S. was for the first hundred years of our existence. We had unlimited, unregulated migration and we had none of the disasters that the nativist and the closed border people uh, you know, predict are going to happen if we allow people to come and go as they please for people for peaceful purposes. But it's not just a good idea. It's also a moral idea. It is wrong for government to limit migration. Migration controls are a violation of your right to host, hire, or house whomever you want on your property and your right to travel to places uh, where you are welcome, to properties where you are welcome. So there's no reason they should be involved in the first place. I propose that we go back to what the founders intended, allowing unlimited, unregulated migration, both to into and out of the country, the same way we have for across county lines and across state lines, because as long as they are coming for peaceful purposes, I'm not talking about an invading army force or some nonsense like that. I'm talking about peaceful people coming for economic reasons and for peaceful reasons. It is none of the government's business. We do not need paper to travel. So I sort of stay with a similar theme and stay with you as the first responder to the next question about the U.S. military presence abroad. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, in particular, NATO, if you believe we should stay in NATO, how would we get out? And what about the troops? What are we going to do with the troops abroad? You've got 60 seconds on that, please. Bring them home and the wars enough already. We just had a terror attack that happened on a Navy shipyard from a terrorist group uh, from uh, supposedly we, as it stands, it looks like it might be terrorism related, which means it came from a terror group, which uses the anger of the American military presence, the bombing and destabilizing and invasion of countless nation and countless nations and harming of other people abroad as blowback and as a recruitment tool to get people to come back, come and fight against us and, and fight us here and fight us over there as well. Bring them home end the fighting. Let's begin the healing. There's no reason to continue this. Some have suggested that we should not end the wars because it might cause a disruption in the job market. Okay, fine. 
bring them home and give them a salary for a year or so until they can find jobs, but end the fighting. There is no reason for us to continue with what the founders called entangling alliances, which has led to exactly what they predicted. Endless war, endless suffering, and endless taxation and debt spending to pay for it. We are being robbed to finance chess games around the world at the cost of trillions of dollars and countless lives, and it needs to end. Thank you, Spike. Uh, Ken, uh, let me ask you the same question, especially since you've actually served as a NATO base commander. Uh, what are your feelings about NATO and U.S. involvement uh, abroad? Well, I think NATO's charter has been completed. The Cold War is over. And I think uh, we, we can certainly begin to spin down that particular structure. I also think that with the technology and, and the various things that we have available to us, that we don't have to keep an American footprint all over the world. But the truth of the matter is there are places like Okinawa where if we just close the base and bring the people home, we're going to do serious damage to the local economy there. So I think we need to transition through maybe a Peace Corps kind of arrangement with an international free trade zone on Okinawa, obviously something that would need to be negotiated with the Japanese government. But I don't think we just pick up and run because, you know, the non-aggression principle says even, you know, even though we're responsible for the damage that we've done there, we don't do more damage by, by undoing that. We need to, we need to ease out of the situation there. Great. Thank you. Perfect timing, too. Uh, well, what about American soldiers abroad and NATO um, especially? I'm, I'm not sure. Did, did someone say that we shouldn't end the wars? I don't know who said that. That that seems silly to me. The judge has been very clear. Yeah. End all the wars immediately. Bring all the combat troops home. The issue that the judge is concerned about is you can't just dismiss them immediately. They still have contracts. We don't want to just ship them right back out. We did that in Vietnam, and it caused havoc with our veteran community. I care about our veterans. We bring them home, absolutely, and the wars bring them home. And then either agreement, we transition them out. Either we, you know, we 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 give them money if they want to, you know, write write off their contracts or serve out your contract and then head home. Whatever the case may be, then audit all of our bases to include Okinawa, as Ken said, and begin shutting them all down systematically. Get rid of all of our military industrial complex. That is the answer. NATO, no need for NATO. Abandon NATO. Our charter is done. No NATO. Get out of NATO completely. All right. Right on time, too. Uh, I have an idea. Uh, we're to a close shortly, but I thought I'd just give each of you a chance to ask any of the other one of you, three, um, a question. Is there any question that's that any of you have for each other. Uh, so if you have one, tell us who it is and what's the question. Uh, Larry, do you have a question for your for your opponents there? No, I love them both. All right, Spike, how about you? Well, I love them both too, but I actually I do have a question, and this is actually a chance for Ken to clarify something that had been uh, I had asked you during the um, the the Mises forum. Um, I had asked you about with your national sales tax plan that it calls for a tax on just non-essential consumption, and of course we've seen uh, you know recently with government you know arbitrarily deciding what is essential or or non-essential. Um, and I had asked you who would determine 
whether what was essential and non-essential. And you said that the people would. Um, and my, so my point of clarification is, are you saying that there would be national referendums on what would be considered essential or non-essential or that the people would choose legislators who would decide that? And if so, how is that substantively different from what we're going with now where legislators are deciding what is or isn't essential? Well, like I said in that caucus, well, the first thing is we need to get rid of the IRS. Uh, I believe in uh, uh, pretty close to the to Gary Johnson's fair tax proposal, uh, so we can use that as a as a model. And that means that the 50 states would be managing the revenue, not the federal government. The federal government would be a ward of the states, not the other way around. So it wouldn't be up to the federal government to decide how that happens. It would be up to state and local governments to decide how that happens. All right. Uh, and, and Ken, do you have any questions uh, for, uh, for Larry or Spike? Anything to clarify, follow up on? Uh, Larry, tell us about uh, your most humbling experience in your gubernatorial campaign. Wow, there were many of them. I think the most important one, um, first off, I, I, I fired no one for incompetence because we screwed up all over the place because we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, the most humbling thing was understanding exactly how much money really mattered. I wasn't getting in polls and I asked the pollsters, why am I not in the polls? And they literally said, because you're not buying polls. A poll with a large company cost about $40,000. I only raised half a million dollars. I know only half a million dollars. Am I going to drop 10% of that money, give or take, on a poll that I may not come up even do well in? And then I asked the the the, ad, the um, media, why are you not covering me? And you know what they said? Well, you don't buy ads. Literally, it's pay to play. Politics is pay to play, and I had no idea how bad that was. I knew it mattered, but it really shocked me. I, I really believed in my heart when I first started running the campaign that if I was, you know, good can a good candidate, I built a real team, I raised money, I was the official nominee, that the media would cover me, I'd get in debates, I believed it, and I it didn't matter. It it was about money. Well, that's a good to talk about. That was one of the questions I didn't get to is uh, what about money, but you covered it pretty well there. Um, well, I think we should start uh, wrapping it up here and, and we've, uh, we're going to have uh, two minutes each. So really uh, hope that in your last two minutes uh, summary, you'll tell us why you're the best candidate to get uh, votes from non-libertarians. And uh, anyway, two minutes to wrap it up and we're going to go to the reporter. So can you get the last bit? Well, it's been an incredible honor. I can't believe that this year of campaigning is about to come to a close. We're about to decide who our vice presidential and presidential nominees are going to be. I'm I'm just incredibly honored to uh, to be able to talk to libertarians today and to ask them for their support. I want to remind you that as we go forward and nominate our uh, our candidates for president and vice president, in my opinion, the goal is to win. It was said tonight that that we can't win. Our goal is to win. Our goal needs to always be to win, because if you're aiming at anything but victory, you're accepting defeat. And that said, I'm, I believe, the best candidate outside of the party to engage the American people, to make them believe in the ticket that we present to them, that they can believe that the libertarians are giving them people who understand 
the issues, understand how government works, and knows where the, the huge failures in government really are and what to do about it. And I believe that if you if you look at my resume, if you look at my credentials, you see my my service in government and uh, and my service in nonprofits, my work outside of the country with poor communities. You see that I've got a broad spectrum of background that comes to bear on exactly the kinds of issues that the vice president needs to support his president on. So I thank you in advance for your vote to nominate me as Vice President of the United States. All right, and thank you, that's very good timing. Uh, Spike, you're next, tell us uh, why you're the votes for non-libertarians and two minutes wrapped up on this one, thank you. Thanks, guys, I have two very simple questions for you. Do you wanna be free in your time, in our time? not just you, but your loved ones, your families, the people you care about, everyone. And do you think we're on our way there? Um, I definitely want to be free in our time. I want us all to be free. And we sure as hell are not on our way there yet. Folks, in the six months that I've been running for the VP nomination, I have traveled across this country to various state Libertarian Party conventions to speak with and listen to our delegates to help raise money for local and state affiliates and down-ballot candidates. I've gone to Republican campaign events to successfully convert their supporters to our side. I've organized and participated in door-knocking tours and housing projects, uh, college events to help grow local and campus LP affiliates, promote local down-ballot candidates, change the conversations in those neighborhoods and campuses. In each of these events, I have converted dozens and sometimes hundreds of people to the Libertarian Party and used the sales, leadership, and communication skills I learned from owning and operating a successful business for nearly 20 years to listen to people's concerns, identify their problems, and communicate the Libertarian solution to those problems. My strategy is pretty straightforward. Listen to our constituents, demonstrate ourselves as trustworthy and caring, show them how the Republicrats have failed them, and explain how Libertarianism is the answer. And if you'd like to be a part of this growing coalition, be sure to join me over here on uh, Twitter at Real Spike Cohen uh, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Literally Spike Cohen. In fact, if you go there right now, there's an event. You can come join us at the Zoom after party for the debate. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Spike Cohen. I am here to take our party and our movement to the next level. And with your nomination, we will continue to build a coalition of voters across the political spectrum and ride that momentum all the way to the White House. Now let's get to work. And uh, let's start it away. You've got two minutes, sir, to wrap it up. Thank you. Um, from what these guys just said, they should be running for president. And that's awesome. Let them do that. You can look at their websites. It's Ken and it's Spike. Mine isn't. Mine says Gray Sharp because I realized something. This is support staff. Those uh, the things they've done and their resumes, while wonderful, after this nomination, most people aren't going to care. Most people don't even know what Mike Pence did before he was VP. Most people don't even know who Hillary's VP was or where he even came from. We are support staff. We have to put ourselves in a secondary spot to get our presidential candidate to the top. That's what I have done. That's what I will do. When it comes to moving people, no one's brought more big L libertarians to the party than I have. No one's raised more money. No one's helped more people. No one's uh, supported more local uh, candidates. And so what? That's not going to matter after this. What's going to matter is, can I get our president candidate to the top? If you believe what I believe, and that is ballot access, that is down ticket, our party growing, Spike wants to be free, me too. We do that by winning at the bottom, by winning at the bottom. 
The only ticket that will do that, that has done that, is the Gray Sharp ticket. If you believe in me and what I've done and what I can do, if you think it's right, give me the right candidate to make that happen. That's someone who can raise the money, that can get the polls, that can get the backing, that understands the tactics that I used in New York and will and will take my failures and multiply them into successes across the nation. That's Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp. We have to make sure that we know what this job is about. Someone said we're not going to win. I didn't say that. I said I wouldn't be the vice president. That's what I said. Why? Because the way we can win is if the Congress actually selects us. If we get enough states to where it goes to Congress. How the Constitution works, if you're in the Constitution, they pick from the top three for the president, but only top two from the vice president. That's why I can't be vice president, even if he's president. That's how the Constitution works. And I accept that. This is support staff. This is the best way to support our candidate. Thank you, Gray Sharp 2020. Thank you very much, Larry Sharp, Spike Cohen, Ken Armstrong for being here tonight. It's uh, It's been very good to be with you and to hear your case for yourself and, and, and your ticket in some cases. And I certainly uh, do think that a lot of delegates are watching or will not delegate, uh, pay attention because uh, Saturday and Sunday of this Memorial Day weekend, the Libertarian Party delegates are going to be choosing one of these three gentlemen in all likelihood to be the vice presidential candidate and one of uh, a larger number of people to be the presidential candidate. So uh, it's exciting time for us, a uh, new a experience to try to do it all online, including the uh, nominations uh, this weekend. And uh, we are all come together and celebrate when uh, all these restrictions are lifted. Uh, we anticipate and by uh, on, they should be lifted by the governor of Florida. Or if things stand the way they are now, they'll all be lifted by July the 8th unless something's extended. So we'll be here in Orlando, Florida, July 8th, 9th, 10th and 11th to uh, continue with uh, the other affairs of the convention and to celebrate uh probably one of these three gentlemen's vice presidential nomination. So they have a lot of work we all do in the Libertarian Party to earn votes and to uh, be present and, and uh, convincing to those non-Libertarians as to why they should vote for us. My name again is Jim Turney. I am a former LNC uh, Libertarian National Committee chair, and I'm currently serving in this beautiful city that you see behind me in Altamont Springs as a city commissioner here, and I'm honored to do that. Gentlemen, thanks again for all of your time. Thank you all of the uh, viewers for checking this out. I'm Thank looking you. forward to seeing you all here in Orlando in July. Thanks, Jim. Hey, Stossel has nothing on you, Jim. You were great. Thanks. Yeah, you did great. Thank you, Jim. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> All the